Welcome to the New Hope Church podcast, where reverence meets relevance. We are currently in a six-part series titled Finding Favor. Here is this week's message from our pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly. Good morning. How you guys doing? I got two big announcements for you. Not really announcements, because that would be in the announcement section of the worship, but they're kind of announcements. I hate this cold weather. I see some of you are with me, man. Um... Some of you, are, how many of you love this weather? You can be proud. You folks need Jesus in a bad way. And you're, you're northerners, I'm sure. And we're so glad you're here because you can remind us that it's okay and we're going to make it through, right? Right, here's the second thing. And again, it's not really an announcement, but I just, uh, I felt this way in the first service. I feel this way again. I just, I just felt this nudge from the Holy Spirit just to say, I love you guys as a church. I love this church. I love you guys. I'm so I'm so honored to be your pastor, and and I just I, I know I say that from time to time, but wow. Um, well, well, thank you, thank you, brother, thank you. Um, hey, so if you if you weren't here last week, um, we started a series called Finding Favor, and um, man, everybody's leaning in, everybody's really engaged on this one because. Favor is quite different than salvation and grace, and I'll keep talking about that as the weeks unfold. But uh, first of all, just welcome to all of you. Welcome to those at our campuses uh, at Garner. Love what God's doing over there. They're about to go to three services, guys. They're out of play. They're out of space. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, the NCCIW love the ladies over there. Love what's going on in the coffee house right now, even as we speak. And those in our television. And internet virtual community. Welcome one. Welcome all. We are so glad you are here. Last week I started this series and I had a metal detector up here. Remember? Remember? And I talked about the dude at the beach that I've never really understood. And I'm an inclusive kind of guy. I guess I guess I could say the, the, the woman at the beach. But I've never seen a woman do this. But I've seen the dude, right? The dude with the metal detector. And the worst one is the dude with the metal detector who has a Speedo on. Remember that? Remember that? Like, ooh, dude, you, you really need to cut that out? Like, like seriously? Um, if you're going to wear a Speedo, you've got to have a body to back it up. You know what I'm trying to say to you? And, uh, but anyway, um, I was talking about the point I was making last week is, is you find favor. You don't just, you know, stumble into favor. You actually have to be looking for it like the dude at the beach with the metal detector. You've got to be on a search. And I covered a few definitions last week, really more than a few. I'd actually covered five. I'm not covering all of them this week. But just by way of review, let me just offer you two, which I think are the best definitions of favor. Then a few points of review, then we're moving on. Favor. Let's read it out loud. Ready? Go. Favor is God graciously working to optimize my life in all circumstances for my good and his glory. That's favor. Okay? Here's the next definition. This is the best way I know how to articulate it. Ready? Go. Favor is God's supernatural anointing that descends upon his beloved believer who knowingly or unknowingly wins the heart of God. That's favor. And we went to the book of Esther last week. And if you haven't read the book of Esther yet, please, this week, read through the whole book. It's only 10 chapters. It's a piece of cake. Read through it and you'll follow along much better in this series. But if there is one thing that Esther teaches us about favor, it is that God's heart desires those who love the giver more than the gifts. Okay? That's just review. 
But I, I shared with you last week how I believe we are guilty many, many times of turning God into this kind of heavenly slot machine where I do a little bit of this and I do a little bit of that and it's all hoping that I'm going to get a little something, something. Right? Right? And that God is really just about what he can give me. And if we're not careful, we fall into a kind of consumeristic Christianity where it's all about me, 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 and it's all about the benefits and the kingdom and, and the kingdom with a small K and the nice parking and the nice landscaping and the nice building and the lights and all of that good stuff and all of that's important and it's used. But listen, we worship the face behind the place. And you got to, when you find favor, you actually learn to understand that it's not about any of those other things. It is about worshiping God. Here's the other thing. If there's one thing that Esther teaches us about favor, it is that God loves to, here's the key word from last week, elevate. Everybody say elevate. elevate. God loves to elevate those who fall in love with the king rather than the kingdom. Like guys, Jesus talked about this, even though we're in the book of Esther. Like, they came to Jesus one day and they said, Jesus, you know, give us the footnotes. You know, just what's most important? And Jesus said, here it is, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all, with what? All, all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. There it is, all, all, all. If you've got your Bibles open, turn to Matthew 22 and just circle that word all. It's over and over in that one verse. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. In other words, it's all in. God loves to give favor, listen, listen, to those who quit playing games with church, quit playing games with religiosity, and they actually go all in. Any poker players in the house? You can, you can, you can admit it in church. And it, some of you like, your mama told you it's wrong to play poker. Any poker players in the house? Some of you still aren't admitting it. Um, it's okay, I understand. Um, but man, I like a good game of poker. I'm sorry. Like if you don't, if you don't like that, I'm sorry. Um, but but I don't I don't get into the betting and all that stuff. Maybe small little stakes. But like when you, when you, when a poker player gets to the point, man, Texas Hold'em, I love me some Texas Hold'em. When you get Texas Hold'em and you're playing a little poker, there's that point where you think you got the other people beat, and it, and, and and for the sissies who haven't folded yet, for those who are still at the table, when you feel like you got them, what do you do? I'm all in. You push it all in, baby. What God tells us in the scriptures, what Jesus tells us in this great commandment is that he loves to bless those who say, I'm going to love the Lord God with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my mind. Now go to the book of Esther. We're going to go here today where we were last week. Esther chapter 1. Esther chapter 1. I'm going to be reading some scriptures. Some of you have never heard this scripture before. It's going to be kind of eye-opening for you. But again, I encourage you to go read the book of Esther. Esther 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. If you love the word of the Lord, say amen. amen. Here it is, verse 1. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. I love when a Bible book starts with that. This is what happened. I mean, it just gets right to the matter. This is what happened. King Xerxes, who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. You're like, where is Kush? Here, here's what you need to know. What this is, this is the area. This is kind of modern-day Pakistan, Baghdad. It's that whole area there, kind of north and south. This was a huge area, so big for King Xerxes to actually rule over 127 provinces. He reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. 
And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia, Media, the princes, and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, how many, how many days? 180 days, he displayed his vast wealth. This dude was loaded. Think of Warren Buffett. Except this dude wasn't generous like Warren Buffett. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. And then we read last week, verses 6, 7, and 8, we read how the palace was this unbelievably uh, adorned, decorated, rather ostentatious, elaborate environment. And I said to you last week, I'm like, man, if this was his palace, could you imagine what his living quarters were like? Sky was loaded. Now go to verse 9. Queen Vashti, who was King Xerxes' queen, okay? Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from the wine, okay? He, he had had a little too much, okay? Okay? He commanded the seven eunuchs who served him. Listen, don't name your children these names. Ready? Mehuman, Bistha, Harbana, Bigtha, Abitha, Zethar, and Carcass. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. Like, who would name their child Carcass? <laughs> really? Anyway, anyway. To bring before the Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles. For she was lovely to look at. That's the Bible way of saying she was hot. Okay? She was lovely to look at. Verse 12. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. Now listen, listen. What you need to know about King Xerxes is this was one bad dude. And I don't mean that in a good way. When you think of King Xerxes, think of, think of Saddam Hussein. Osama bin Laden. That kind of dude. He summons his queen, Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti says, forget you tonight. And he burns with anger. Okay? It doesn't get pretty. Verse 15. According to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti, he asked, she has not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. Go down to verse 19. Therefore, if it please the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Medea, which cannot be repealed, and Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Okay? You get what happens here? King Xerxes says, you do not refuse me. You are done. And here's what you need to know about the Bible. What's very, very interesting about this is we don't really know what happened to Queen Vashti. Some, some scholars believe she was probably put in a part of the palace where uh, some people who had gotten in trouble would not be able to come back into the king's presence. I'm not so sure. As I study that era and that part of the world, uh, a lot of things haven't changed, beloved. And I believe what probably happened to Queen Vashti, and I can't, I can't give you a verse. Nobody can. We don't really know in Scripture what happened to Queen Vashti. But I believe probably what happened was they slipped a hood over her head, if you know what I mean. We've all seen that on the news. And when you get a hood slipped over your head, it pretty much means you're done. And Queen Vashti was done never to be seen again, never to come back into the presence of King Xerxes again. 
And here is where we see in the Bible that this incredible, here's the key word, and I hope you write this down, I hope you're taking notes there in your, in your bulletin, grab your pen. What happens in this moment is that when Queen Vashti gets taken out of the game, unfortunately, there becomes, here's the word, opportunity. There becomes an opportunity for Queen Vest, uh, Esther, who wasn't queen yet, for Esther to actually come on the scene. And what I want to talk to you about today, church, this is very, very important. This message, if you will let it sink in from God's word, this message has the potential to change the trajectory of your life and put you on a path of ex exploring and experiencing divine favor. And here's the principle. Here's the principle. And there might be a place. This is not in there, but I'm hoping you can, you can draw it yourself. Here's the deal. What I'm going to talk to you about today is preparation. Everybody say preparation. preparation. Preparation is me going through life, just like this right here. I'm going through life, and I'm preparing myself for favor. Everybody say prepare. For favor. We prepare for favor. And what happens is when we prepare, listen, God, when God sees fit, gives us opportunity. And when the beloved believer has rightly prepared his or her life, and God then descends and gives the godly opportunity. Listen, listen. There is this, if you will, divine intersection right here where we discover favor. So many people, so many people spend their lives not preparing for the favor that God wants to give them. Then God shows up in their life and opportunity after opportunity after opportunity comes and the person has not rightly prepared and therefore they miss it. You can miss favor and many, many people actually do miss favor. Favor. Here's the principle. This is what I'm teaching you today. In one sentence, you'll see it in your notes. When Christ-centered preparation collides with godly opportunity, divine sparks fly and a person finds favor. Oh, don't let that just go over. Don't let that just... You can't miss that today. When Christ-centered... It's got to be Christ-centered preparation because we're talking about God's favor. When Christ-centered preparation... Every word is important collides, bam, intersects with godly opportunity. We're talking about God's favor, so it's not just any opportunity. Godly opportunity, divine sparks flow, fly, and a person finds divine favor. Go over to Esther 2. Let me just, let me just share you how I get this principle from Esther. It's really amazing. Esther 2, verses 12 through 16. You ready for more of the word? Say amen. amen. Verse 12. Before a girl's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments. Mm. See, guys, you get all hacked up when she goes to the spa for one day. Say, ladies, look at your man. Say, uh-huh. You think one day's bad, honey. 12 months is coming, baby. 12, 12 months of beauty treatments. 
That makes that little petty and Matty and Manny and whatever you ladies call it. That makes it all right. Okay, watch this. Prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. Now, guys, listen. We, we, we in the West, we don't understand perfumery. Okay? Ladies, I know you think you do, and you definitely do better than I do. Um, but, but perfumery, you need to know, it originated in Persia. And perfumery in Persia, in the ancient world, is far different than perfumery in the Western world. The best we understand, some of you ladies are very, um, you're, you're experts on kinds of perfumes, and you know what you like, and your man knows what he likes. Amen, men? You know you know what you like. But, but what we do in the West is we just dab a little bit on, a little bit here, a little bit there, right? Right, right? And, uh, and if we got kids, like young kids, we often use it to disguise the smell of spit up. Right, ladies? Right, ladies? I mean, perfume can disguise. But in the ancient world, they understood it on a whole nother level. Let me just explain that to you. In the ancient world, what they would do is these women, 12 months of beauty treatments. Just follow me here for a moment. What they would do is the women would come and they would get in their rooms, if you will, and they would go into these beauty treatments. And one element of the beauty treatments, besides just the perfumery, one element was they would have these dual burning uh, burners, if you will, and they would place coals on the burners And when the burners were ready, they would place incense on the coals. And the incense would then rise up. And what they would do in the ancient world is they would actually, the women would get over the burners, oftentimes naked, or if you're in the south, naked, okay? And uh, uh, guys, don't let your mind wander there. Just come on back, guys. Come on back. Come on back. They would, they would crouch over the burning incense. They would put a tent, no joke, they would put a tent over them. So what they did, and they would have these treatments, and what they would do is they would, they would create, if you will, an incense sauna. And a couple things happened. One is they believed that the, this, this beauty treatment would actually um, remove the contaminants and the toxins that were in their body. You know, we get into some of this today, too. Every, you know, some of you are into that. And, and, they would re- and so they believe that this process actually removes the toxins and the contaminants. And secondly, after you do that day after day after day, you, you start to ooze with fragrance. Let me show you something. This tradition kind of starts to find its way into the church with the power of incense. We about to go high church up in here today. How many of you have ever been in the um in the Catholic church? A lot of you. We talked about Mary last week. Let's talk about some other good stuff this week. Here's a coal, charcoal. Y'all say, help him, Lord. I'm not a high church kind of person. I've only done this a couple times before. One in the first service, and I burnt the you-know-what out of my hand. You aren't supposed to laugh at that. There's one coal. Here's the second coal. So they had these burners, and they would light these coals. And there's a period of time 
that the coals just need, oh, that's lovely, just need to simmer, if you will. And once these coals simmered, they would place the incense on the coals. And the women believed the Persian culture taught that it was a process of cleansing you. Removing from your body contaminants. Now here's the connection, beloved. Here is the deal. In the Bible, there is a process. There is a preparation that I quite frankly believe that the church has kind of forgotten. Not the whole church, but I believe there are people in the church, in the Western world particularly, where we have turned Christianity into a consumeristic religion, where it's all about what I get out of it. We start to fall in love with the place instead of the face behind the place, Jesus Christ, and we start to live our Christianity, and it's really all about what I can get from God as opposed to my relationship with God and the practice that we have forgotten. That is the process by which we, 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 we spell out, if you will, the contaminants of sin. The toxins of sin is a process that the Bible calls confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. And if you want to know the very first thing I would say to you about preparation to be ready when the divine opportunity comes your way. The process, the first thing I want to say to you about preparation is that it comes, listen church, through regular, dare I say daily, confession of sin and repentance of sin. And we as Christians in the 21st century, listen, we have forgotten that. Have we forgotten, just stay, have we forgotten that God is holy? And I know we don't understand that fully because we're not. And so it's hard to understand. But listen, God is holy. And the Bible says that I'm supposed to be ye holy as God is holy. So therefore, there's this reality in my life that God is holy and I am sinful. And the only way in which I stay in a right relationship with God. Listen, church, listen. Is that by regularly coming to God and confessing my sin and repenting of my sin. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten that sin fractures, breaks my relationship with God? See, we, we come to Christ. And so many, this is important for those of you who've walked with Christ for a long time. You've been believers your whole life. Listen, it's a slow fade. It's a subtle slip whereby you start to forget that God is holy. And listen, you start to forget that sin, my sin... Offends the heart of God. I mean, my sin is repulsive to God. And we forget. And for those of you who are new believers, if you're not careful, and if I don't do a good job of teaching you, you'll start to think that, you know, salvation is just coming to Jesus and accepting what he did on the cross. He died on the cross. He shed his blood for you. He forgives you of your sin. All of that is true. But if we're not careful, we can start to believe that is a one-time reality. And we forget that part of what it means to grow in Christianity is to actually live in such an intimate relationship with God. Number one, when I sin, it breaks my heart. Like, do you care anymore? Like, like seriously. When you sin, and if you're anything like me, beloved, it, it wasn't too long ago. 
right? When you fall short of the glory of God, be it just in your speech or your attitude or your eyes or your mind or your vocation or your cheating or your finances. When you sin, I'm asking the question, seriously, does it bother you anymore? Like, there was a song in the 80s. I know I'm showing my age, old school here, baby. There was a song by Ray Bolts. You remember it? Do you still feel the nails? You remember that? Do you still feel the nails, God? Every time I fail? I, I don't know, but I, I think he does. And I, th- I think we've forgotten that when Benji falls short of the glory of God, it offends God. And because he's holy, listen... Because he's holy, my sin and his holiness cannot coexist. And therefore, the only way in which I get the relationship back to a good place, the only way in which I restore the relationship is by confession of my sin and repentance. It's why the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and what? And what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, we have forgotten this incredibly important process. Confession and repentance is key, church. Go to Psalm 51. While you're you're going there, let me tell you a little bit about this guy. Um, His name is David. Some of you grew up in the church. You know about David, right? So David is out on his, you know, palace, patio one day, if you will. And he looks across the way and he sees a woman out on her deck. And her name is Bathsheba. And kind of like Esther would say, you know, she was easy on the eyes, right? So David looks out and there she is. And he he falls in his mind first. Guys, never make a mistake about this. You fall in your mind first. He falls in his mind first. And then he summons Bathsheba. And Bathsheba comes over and, you know, the rest, unfortunately, is history. They have sex. She's married. She shows up pregnant. He hears that she's pregnant. And then he does the, he, you know, he compounds sin with sin. I mean, this is, guys, this is, this is TMZ kind of stuff right here. He, 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 then, he then calls for her husband by the name of Uriah. And Uriah comes and he gets, you know, has a little too much to drink with Uriah that night. And then the next day, he tells his officials when they go into battle, put Uriah on the front lines so that Uriah can die. And that is exactly what happens. I mean, this guy just, this is David. This is David who found favor with God. Some of you are here today and you're like, I like this favor series, but I don't think I can ever find favor because of what I've done. That's why I'm teaching you this. It's not about what you have done, beloved. It is about what you do. It's not even about what you do tomorrow if that is sin. It is about you learning to let that sin break your heart. Like it breaks the heart of God. And it is about you then cultivating the discipline, the holy habit of confessing that sin, repenting of that sin, which means what? Repent means to turn from. It's 180. When I realize I've sinned, it breaks my heart because it breaks the heart of God. I find my place. I get on my knees. I pray that God would forgive me. And I turn from that sin. And I walk in a completely different direction. That's what repentance means. And when I do that, I become the candidate for God's favor. 
And what we find in Psalm 51, maybe you're there. Psalm 51, we find David is in this place of contrition. He's in this place of brokenness. He's in this place of humility. And look at what the Bible says in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. Say that with me. Have mercy on me, O God. Let's continue. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Go to verse 2 with me. Ready? Go. Wash all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Watch this, verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Let's go to verse 10. Let's keep that slide up there. Going to the next one. Verse 10. It says, create in me. You did so good. Let's read it. Ready? Go, church. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David, who could probably trump most of us in here in our sin category, right? And you, you know, committed adultery, you know, got the woman pregnant and then killed the husband. If you did... We'd like to meet with you after the service. <laughs> seriously. To talk, to pray, to love. Seriously, seriously. Um, but then you see David who, who's broken before God. Humbled. Contrite. Have you forgotten this? I have at times. Have you forgotten that when you sin, it doesn't matter how big or how small. It's offensive to God. Have we forgotten that what it means to love God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength means to actually live in such an intimate relationship with God that our heart stays tender before God so that when I fall short of God's glory, it, 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 it awakens me, it disturbs me, it interferes with me, and that I know, therefore, that my relationship is not right with God, and the only way that I'm going to get it back right with God is I actually come before God, and with all humility and all transparency, He knows anyway, and all brokenness, I confess. And I not only confess, but I turn from that particular sin. And some of you are here because you won't favor. Amen. But some of you are also here and you continue to struggle with the same sin over and over and over. And some of you are here today. And again, I'm not throwing stones. I've been there. You're here today. And the truth is, you've kind of grown hard hearted. You don't even confess anymore. aren't going to receive favor, beloved. 
Preparation for finding favor. Point number one today under this preparation thing. Preparation for finding favor is to develop a daily rhythm of regular confession and repentance. Daily. And if you're anything like me, sometimes, guys, it's more than daily, you know? Sometimes, sometimes I'm laying my head down on my pillow at night and I'm praying this prayer. I'm saying, God, I'm sure that I've sinned today in ways that I'm not even fully aware. You know, God, there's something, probably a thought, something I said in passing that I'm not even aware of it. God, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Guys, the sin fractures and breaks the relationship with God. We develop this daily rhythm. Secondly, the second point under this preparation is that preparation involves sharpening your skills. Like, like if you're a beautician or you're a car salesman or you're a CEO or you're a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad or you're a school teacher, principal or a pastor. I've got some pastors in here today. doesn't matter what you do. Part of the preparation process is that you actually are constantly trying to get better at your trade. And can I just tell you something? Can I just meddle for a moment? I believe we as a country, I'm just talking about the country. I believe we as a country have grown and are growing more and more afraid of hard work. We, we, guys, what, what made this country great was, yes, his ingenuity, was, yes, the, the, the educational system, was, yes, this, was, yes, that. But what made our country great is that it was consisted of men and women who were not afraid to work their butts off to become great. And I'm telling you, with America, and I'm not going to meddle in this area long because this is not a political speech, but America is losing its place. In the world, because we've become a bunch of slackers, a bunch of lazy people. Now, I'm not saying everybody. You might be the hardest working man or woman in in this area. Praise God for you. But listen, we are becoming lazy as a culture, as a people. And what the Bible teaches in Esther, this prepper, it was long. It was tedious. And what you see when you look at the scriptures is that, guys, preparation involves work. Preparation involves getting better. This is why we take our team, our pastors and stuff, to conferences. We're all about learning. We constantly want to get better and better and better at what we do. And regardless of what you do for a living, listen, you ought to try to get better. You should never be happy with where you are. Part of the preparation process is not only confession and repentance, but it's that I'm going to do everything I can do to be the best at what I'm called to do. Martin Luther King Jr., I love him. Martin Luther King Jr. said, and I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but he basically said, whatever you do, even if you are a street sweeper, sweep that street to the glory of God. Cassius Clay. Y'all know who Cassius Clay is? Muhammad Ali. I love that dude. Muhammad Ali said this. I love this quote. I run on the road, baby, long before I dance under the lights. Come on now. Come on now. That's hard work. Hard work is what gets us into this position so that God looks down on me and God says, there's a clean person. There's a person who is living before me with righteousness and holiness. No, they're not perfect, but when they sin, they confess it. There is a person who is upright with integrity. 
And there is a person who is working, putting his mind to work, his heart to work, his life to work, to become the best person he can be, whatever he or she is doing. That's a candidate for my favor. I'll see. It's huge. It's huge. Let me just make it personal for a moment. Um, be, would we all agree? Come on, let's just give God the glory and the praise. It's all about God, not about Benji. Would we all agree that God's favor is on this church? Amen. This church has favor. And it's always had favor from day one because it's all about God. God chooses to give favor wherever God wants to give favor. This church has, has favor. But you know what I've discovered in the last two or three years since we've reached um, certain levels of favor? Pastors kind of come out of the woodwork. And they want to set up appointments. And I get the phone calls and the emails and some appointments I, I sit down with. And they ask questions. And here's what I have discovered. Nine out of ten times, the pastor, once I probe a little bit and we talk, we talk about this kind of stuff. Nine out of ten times, you know what that pastor wants? He wants to lead a movement like New Hope without putting in the work and the preparation that got us here. They want, they want the praise without the process. They, they, and it's, it's funny. Too. So then I started to explain to them. Guys, you're sitting here. You're looking at. You're not even looking at 10 years. So you, you think. Some of you are here. You're like, this is New Hope. No, this is not New Hope. New Hope started in 1988. When God wrecked a sin-scarred, hell-bound boy in a four-by-six-foot jail cell. Saved his soul for eternity. And then... Found, and it's all because of God. But what God then is God just started to move and work in my life. And those were the seeds of the preparation that got us here today. It wasn't that I was special. It's just I was stupid enough to whatever God's word said. I was going to try my best to do it. The, the new hope is not 10 years in the making. New hope goes all the way back to when I got out of that jail cell. And I started listening to these men and women preach the word of God. And I actually started listening and applying. And when God would open up doors for me to go speak around the state of South Carolina. And share my testimony in churches and schools. I actually made a commitment to God. God, I don't care if they will pay me or not. I will go. And so it started when I would get in that. Oh, God bless that. 1978 Toyota Tercel. Blue. With rust down the side of it. Hatchback baby. And I would get in that thing. And I would ride four or five. Sometimes six hours. Across the state. Just to be able to talk about Jesus. And I didn't care if they gave me an honorarium or not. And often they didn't. But it didn't matter to me. Because I was able to speak for Jesus. This church is not ten years old. This church goes all the way back. To when my wife and I went to a little country church out in Graham Burlington area called Salem. And I would preach my heart out. You don't, you don't, you don't know something? Check this out. There were about 40 people there. Total. When I got there. Do you know that I spent the same amount of grueling time and energy in the sermon preparation process for those 40 as I do for 5,000 now? Because it's not about the numbers. I was preaching before an audience of one. Preparation goes all the way back. It, this church doesn't, isn't 10 years of preparation. This church goes back to the day my wife and I decided we were going to start this church. And we left that little country church. And we got in a U-Haul. And we went up to Kentucky where we gave up salary. We gave up health benefits. We gave it all up. And we lived on WIC. You know what WIC is? 
Wicca's food stamps for dairy products, baby. We were on food stamps for a year to a year and a half in Kentucky where I was in preparation. I was in preparation. One brother's over here hearing. I was in preparation for the favor that would come when the opportunity arose. Guys, this is key. This is key. You clap so you can get it in your life. Listen, this, and this is not only in ministry. Come on, I'm feeling good in this service. First, first service, I didn't, first service, I don't know I was fighting all kinds of spiritual warfare in the first service. How many of you have ever walked into a house? You've ever walked into a house? Come on, you be honest. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You walked into somebody's house and it was nice. And you walked in. How many of you at one point in time, you felt a little jealous? And you thought to yourself, ooh. They must have been given all this on a silver spoon. Or, or, ooh, you know, how did they get all this? And we get jealous. And do you know what we have failed to realize in that moment? All you're looking at is the house. You have not seen the years upon years upon years upon years, sometimes decades of the process to get, get them to that point. How many of you, come on, be honest. How many of you have looked at a marriage before? You look at a marriage and you go, oh. They're so happy, it makes me sick. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And you're like, look, their kids are even godly. You know? And you, and you just get disgusted and you leave defeated. And you, you know, listen, and you think, God must just like them better than me. No, He doesn't. What has happened is that you have not seen the years upon years upon years and sometimes decades of preparation that got them to the position of favor. Single people. Single people. Come on, come on, come on. You want marriages of favor. I know that about you. That's why you're in church. I see the head shaking. Okay? You want God to send you that prince, that princess. You want to ride off in the sunset, baby, and you want to have that marriage. Number one, that ain't going to happen. Number two, number two, their breasts going to stink in the morning. Number three, they're going to leave socks on the floor. Number four, I go on. A, but but, but I'm, here we go. You you want a marriage of favor, right? And you can have it despite those things. You can have it, but you ain't gonna have it, dude, dude, dude. If you go find your wife in Hooters. I was with a guy one time because I don't understand why my wife dresses this way. She dresses so immodestly and she loves for guys to look at her. I said, where'd you meet her? He said, Hooters. Hello. <laughs> True story. You, you're not going to have a marriage of favor if you're sleeping around before you're married. Ooh. Just got tense up in here. You... you you, you expect favor and you're sleeping around with him. You're sleeping around with her. And you aren't confessing it. And you're like, yes, I am. I confess it every morning. But you do it the next night. It's repentance. It's confession and repentance. Okay? Guys, this is so key. You cannot, you cannot disobey God's word and expect favor. It's key. This is so key. I just want people to understand this, guys. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. I'm surely not perfect. And you're not ever going to be perfect. 
But favor comes to those who put God on the throne of their lives and they follow Him in reckless abandonment with all the heart, all the mind, all the soul, all the strength. And when I fall short of the glory of God, I come before God and I confess. And I repent. And what happens is, throughout that whole process, God is preparing me. At the same time, I'm getting better and better and better at what I think God has called me to do. So when God looks at my life, He says, there's a candidate for my favor. And He brings forth the opportunity. And when the opportunity meets the preparation, boom! Favor breaks loose. I remember when I met my wife. Not when I met my wife. I remember when I got married to my wife. She was in the first service, so I had to really work to remember the date because I got into the sentence, and I realized, ooh, I'm in a sentence. I need to finish the sentence, and it was May 13th, 1995. Thank you, Lord. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, so, so May 13th, 1995, dude, I, I'm sitting at the altar, and um, preparation, preparation. Ladies, how in the world does it take you so long to prepare for the wedding? But guys, don't poo-poo that. That's preparation. And when they come down that aisle, you want them having prepared, if you know what I mean. And those doors of that back church opened. And I looked up and I saw my beautiful bride. And I thought all kinds of things. But here's the one thing I thought of. (laughs) Yeah, I thought those things too. You know why? You know why? You know why? Because for six years, six years after I accepted Christ, in 1988, for six or seven years, whatever that is, I had saved myself, put purity back on the front burner, and my wife and I would not have sex before marriage. And guys, I'm proud of it. I am proud of it. And so, yeah, I was thinking those things because I was burning hot with passion. But listen, 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 listen. I, what I thought when I saw her were, were those things, but I also thought, seriously, all joking aside, I thought, this is what I've been preparing for for six years. And because she grew up in the church and she never was way out in the far country like I was, she had been preparing for it her whole life. She had been praying for it for, from the day that she can remember starting to pray. I had been praying for it for six years Men, women, I hope you're praying for your children's spouse. Single people, I hope you're praying for your spouse. But I hope you're doing more than praying. I hope you're setting yourself aside and you're waiting for that person and you're being faithful and you're being pure with your body because God looks down upon those people and he says, that's the one I'm going to give favor to. And that one right there. And that one right there. And favor ain't fair. It ain't for everybody. But here's what you got to do. You've got to learn the preparation process. Which consists of confession and repentance. And becoming the best you can be at what you're called to be. And you have then set yourself up for divine favor. And when the opportunity comes, I believe, beloved, that they may say about you the very same thing they said about Esther. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Preparation. Number one, you develop a daily rhythm. A daily rhythm. Of confession and repentance if you want favor. Some of you are going to let this go right over. You're not going to worry about it. You're not going to get favor. 
first thing you do is you develop a daily rhythm of confession and repentance. And the second thing you do is you develop and sharpen, sharpen your particular skills of the trade. Back to the thurible. I need to show y'all some of this. This is the incense up here. I wonder if our camera guy can get ready. This is incense. Esther used myrrh. And you, you find myrrh in the New Testament all over, remember? What did the wise men bring to Jesus when he was born? Gifts of what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Esther used the oils of myrrh. Myrrh is mentioned five times in the New Testament when he was born. Then there are multiple occasions in the New Testament in Luke 7 and Mark 12 where the women came to Jesus and they, they anointed him with oil. Myrrh is mentioned there when Jesus was buried. When Jesus was buried, they wrapped him in spices of myrrh. When he was on the cross, remember what the soldiers did? They dipped the sponge in wine and myrrh and they stuck it up to Jesus' mouth trying to get him to drink it and he wouldn't do it. Myrrh runs throughout. Let me show you what myrrh is. Here's a bunch of incenses. You see that? Oh, yeah. The myrrh is these darker ones. See that dark one right there? Zoom in on that. You know, now that I think about it, I used to smoke stuff like this. Thank God I don't do that anymore. Hallelujah, brother says. And watch this. I'm going to put that incense on that right there. Let me, I think this is an incense kind of crowd. Let me give a little bit more in there. Say, give it to us, Pastor. Say, we like to smoke that stuff. I mean, smell that stuff. Just kidding. Some of you guests are like, what kind of church did I walk into? The Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Lutheran Church use thurbles. And it's a little high church for this old boy which is why you won't see this done for another decade or so. Um, but it's powerful. Stick with me and I'm done. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 2 and 14 where it says this, and I want you to read this. I want you to, get, I want you to just walk away with this image. Ready? Read it with me, church. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Let's go. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. One more. Ready? Go. To the one we are the smell of death. To the other the fragrance of life. You ready for the connection? Some of you are smart. You've already made it. The Bible says God searches the land to and fro. And the Bible says God searches the land looking for righteous people. And what happens when a man or a woman sets Christ apart as Lord, I mean master, the word Lord means master, sets Christ Jesus apart as Lord and master of his or her life in such a way that they regularly confess and repent of their sin and they regularly get better. They don't settle for status quo living. They are going to be the very best they can be at whatever God has called them to be. When a man or a woman does that, listen, their life starts to give off, if you will, a kind of fragrant offering. 
to the very nostrils of almighty God. Such that the Bible says, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 2, that you actually become the aroma of Christ to almighty God. And when God looks out across his land, beloved, and he sees those people, those certain men, those certain women, those certain students, those certain young people, because favor is not just for older people. When God looks down upon a person and he, the aroma of Christ, he says, that one gets my favor. And that one gets my favor. And that one gets my favor. And that one gets my favor. It's the favor of almighty God. And if you want it, don't sidestep. Don't try to shortcut the preparation process. You can't do it. You start preparing, beloved. You start living this life now before an audience of one. And I can promise you the opportunities will come. The question is not will the opportunities come. The question is will you be prepared to carpe diem, seize the favor of God in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father we love you. God I thank you for favor. God I thank you for the word that just speaks to us. God thank you for what you're doing in our midst. God I pray you know I pray this. I pray for favor for every single person here. God, I thank you. We thank you as a community for the favor that is on this church. But God, if it's just on this church, we have missed it. God, I pray that your favor descends upon every single person who is here. God, I pray that we would be that we would be transparent before you in this moment as we, as we go into more worship and singing and declaring. God, I pray for confession to take place. God, as I talked about that today, there are certain sins that just come to mind. God, I pray we would confess those. And I pray that would kickstart afresh and anew the habit of confession and repentance. God, soften our hearts. God, you know the number of times I've had to just come back to you and say, God, I am sorry. My heart has grown hard. I'm no longer sensitive to sin. So God, take us to that familiar place. The place of the cross. And help our church. Help me. Continue to be ever aware of the ways in which I, I break your heart, God. The ways in which I sin against thee. And let me confess. Let me turn and please, God, please let me continue to experience your favor. And I pray it for every single person here in Jesus name. Amen. As each day goes by, Father, I'm reminded of your word where it says that life is but a vapor. For one moment we're here and, and the next minute we're gone. And Lord, I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid because I don't want to die without living. I don't want to die without fulfilling the purpose that you have for my life. Without walking in line with your will. Without reaching my full potential, Lord. That you would have me reach. Lord, I want you to use me. 
I want to be your vessel. I want you to use every breath and every cell within my body, Lord, to fulfill your purpose. But I know I can't do it on my own. I know there's some change that's got to take place inside of me. But I ask that you give me your favor. I need your favor, Lord. Like the mountains need height. Like the daytime needs the sun and the moon needs night. I'm weak. Lord, I need your might. My hope has been incarcerated. My burdens are killing my purpose, Lord, and I need for you to save it. I need your favor. I'm a stack of questions. Lord, and I need for you to answer and stop my issues from eating me like cancer. Be my rock, something solid that I can stand and lean on. You see, the world's been living inside of me for a while, but now I need a home. I need your favor. I'm lonely, I'm desperate, I'm weak, Lord. I need your favor, Lord. In every flavor, shape, and size. The land of milk and honey, cattle on the hillsides. Blessings flowing so freely that I can't receive them all. Grace, knowledge, wisdom, and your peace, which surpasses them all. Lord, I need your favor to reveal my life that's been reduced to rubble and, and dirty rags. Lord, I need your favor. I need to be embraced and, and hugged. Lord, will you be my valentine? Because I need a real love. I need his patience and his kindness that hopes, bears, believes, and, and never quits. Yes, Lord, I need your love. Every ounce that I can get. And Lord, I submit. I yield to you. I'm so ready to change. I'm sick of tired. I'm sick and tired of caterpillar living. I want my butterfly wings so I can fly, Lord. I want to be redeemed and, and clean. I want to walk through salvation's door. I've lived for me long enough, Lord. Please take my life. It is yours. Lord, I need your favor. I need your favor, Lord. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the bottom of our homepage. We hope you will join us next week. God bless and thank you for being part of our church family.